Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of sporting directors, delve deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. My name is Shailash. I'm the CEO at Get Football Group and I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, David. How are you this morning, David? I'm well, Shailash. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's getting a bit colder here in London. Obviously, I don't think it gets as extreme as it does for you guys in the US, but it's still cold for us, so wrapping up a bit warmer. Um, I wanted to uh, talk today, actually, David. We mentioned on our last episode, we talked to, we, we kind of touched upon um, the kind of audiences for a sporting director and the kind of role they play in the whole kind of ecosystem, shall I say, of what a sporting director's um, world looks like. And I think today the aim was to kind of go a little bit deeper into each one and just just as a reminder um i wanted to kind of put it back to you david and and i don't know if you could just give a very quick high level on on what those three audiences were that you mentioned and you know just a little bit about them before we kind of start taking them apart for sure so there's there's three there's three major audiences for directors and depending on the club and honestly uh, it, it, it's more um uh, managers have to deal with it more uh, regularly, so like week in, week out. Uh, but there, there's three main audiences for every single director with an asterisk for the fourth. There's a fourth audience as well, but we'll get to that. So the first one, first and foremost, the audience for any director, it's the changing room. It's the players. Um, and quite honestly, a lot of times it may be players that you don't even have on uh, or in the club, in the squad yet. So how you communicate loss, how you communicate wins, how you communicate uh, disappointment, how you communicate potential transfer opportunities, players and by default, uh, their entourages, whether that may be intermediaries, agents, family members, they listen and they watch how directors process uh, communication to, to the player. Because the project of a certain club is always dependent on the players, period. I mean, it's not about playing style. It's not about managers. Yes, those parts are, are very important. But if you don't have the players, it doesn't matter um, to a degree, okay? Uh, so that's the first, first audience. Let's call it the first uh, people group, if you will. That second audience is the manager. Managers slash, I'm going to say backroom staff, but more so, especially when you're talking about top five leagues, you're talking directly to the first team manager. And what you want to communicate, obviously, is alignment. Um, but that's something that, you know, the more uh, I, I study directors and managers separately and then in, in a club dynamic, you can't fake it. Um, you either have alignment or you don't. Uh, recently, I want to say within the last, um, I think it was Friday, uh, Paolo Maldini came out and he did the, he, he, he openly spoke about uh, the dissolution of his, uh, um, you know, association with uh, AC Milan as far as being a director. And from what he was saying, uh, you could tell pretty quickly that he had alignment with the manager, but he did not have alignment with the third group, and that third group is the ownership slash board, whatever, um, whatever setup or structure is there, and that is, 
So the players are the most important, but I, I don't know if it it's even worth doing if you don't know what your ownership or board wants, right? I mean, it's kind of a chicken before chicken or a chicken or egg scenario. Um, a perfect recent example of that as well, as far as a, a negative use case, is FC Volendam in the Netherlands. Um, they dismissed, uh, I believe, I get my Jans and my Yaps mixed up, but they they dismissed, uh, I believe it was Jan Smith um, early last week. And then uh, the technical team. So Wim Yonk, um, and again, I'm destroying. Anyways, they call him Team Yonk. They're the guys that he brought over from Ajax. Um, and then their names are escaping me, but three crucial figures. So these are these. This is the the technical recruitment and the player development, the youth development um, uh, directors in the club. They and you know, uh, I think it goes without saying that um, you you can only take what you hear or read um, with uh, caution, you know, because there's always posturing. But they they essentially resigned. Uh, they they forfeited their positions because of. Uh, you know, their their seat of power, Jan Smith being dismissed. So you need, you need, you have to have for sustained success, you have to have alignment between those three groups, um, communication wise in a club, right? Uh, a perfect uh, counter example of sorts is Circle Bruges uh, in Belgium. So they just re-signed, I mean, he's one of my favorite managers, I'll, I'll be honest in saying that, but they just re-signed or, or extended the contract of uh, first team manager Miran Muslic. Um, and they haven't, I mean, they're doing just fine, but they, you know, they're not doing, um, they're not being exceptional, if, if that's fair to say, right? Uh, but there's alignment between their model, what they, they're probably not going to win the league year in, year out. But their his remit is to play attractive football and to play young players. He's doing that. He's doing that very well. And they are um, they ended last season very well. And obviously this season is 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 fine so far. But they extend the contract of the first team manager simply because he's their guy, right? Like he embodies what they hired him uh, to do. So those are the three, right? So players, managers. And then uh, ownership board. The fourth asterisk, and it's the most, it's the most intangible and invisible um, people group, but it's important, especially as you are uh, on your ascent to power or maybe stability, is the media itself, right? Like how you talk to Fabrizio Romano, how you talk to the Daily Telegraph, how you talk to the Guardian, how you talk to Marsa, like uh, Gazeta de la Sport, how you talk to those reporters in the mix zone is important. Maybe not on the face of, you know, they uh, control, um, like here in the States, they control uh, your ability to get paid max contracts and whatsoever, but they do control the narrative. And that's to me, one of the, it's another reason why we're always seemingly, we're going to have consistent murmurings of a super league and, and things of that nature. European football is very different in the sense, I mean, there's multiple factors, but one of the key factors is the narrative around players, managers, and clubs. It's it's very, very hard to not have a narrative constructed um, around a player, a club, or a, um, 
director that is, dare I say, uh, I'm going to use the word bulletproof. Uh, I, I mean, who you are, who you're painted to be is usually who you are paid to be. Right. And let's not let's not be naive in the sense that certain players, certain managers, certain directors, even certain owners, uh, I won't name names, but they play they play a character. They, they have a narrative built around them that is necessary for the stability and the functioning of their club. So uh, that was a long winded uh, four part uh, answer to your question. But those are the four audiences that uh, especially directors, but then next in line managers, they have to be aware of those four, um, those four key audiences. No, it, it makes sense. And, and we'll touch on, on each of them, um, you know, separately. And, and the way I kind of see it is the first three you mentioned there, the, the players, you know, the managers, and I guess the ownership, um, I would probably class as more internal audiences. Um, and then the media is a more external one through which they could maybe communicate with the internal audiences as well as with the external ones. So we'll touch on them. But if, if I just focus on the, on the first three, the, the players, you know, the, the managers and the kind of ownership, do you think, I mean, how would you rank them? Or do you think sporting directors do rank them in terms of these are the ones I have to kind of prioritize above each other or does it kind of depend upon where they are in their cycle um or where we are in i guess seasonality kind of you know transfer windows etc do you think that matters do you think they rank them and, and what order would you do it that is a very sneaky question <laughs> it's, it's sneaky. yeah it's sneaky in the sense that um the the direct i'll, I'll be i'll I'll, I'll go against my nature. The direct answer is yes, 100%. I mean, you have to juggle who you speak to when you speak to them, right? But if you step away from it and you try to think of it objectively, a, a savvy, sharp director is always going to make, and, and this is cynical, but I'm just being honest, a savvy, sharp director is always going to make sure that ownership and the board are apprised of what he was hired or he or she was hired to do, period. It's self-preservation. It's survival. There's nothing wrong with it, right? However, however, uh, the ones who tend to be very good and um, tend to uh, impact change, they care more. Um, more is not the right word, but they care deeply about the players. And it's not so much... Uh, as in a more or less than scenario, like it's not really a binary thing. It's more of a spectrum. So if I know that, and <laughs> this is a tricky scenario, but I'll just use it because of its exaggerated ability to, to um, prove my point. If I was the director or it, 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 yeah, if I was the director of Manchester United, what I would make 1000% sure of, because you have to be different. And this is this is another uh, truth that is not talked about enough uh, in mainstream sports coverage or, or clubs or leagues. You have to be different. You have to be different. You have to choose a route that is unique so that you can get buy in from those. I'm going to call it trailblazers 
um, whether it's at the player level or the manager level, who want to do something different. If you continually want to do the Ralph Ragnick or, or the Red Bull, you know, pressing, gegen pressing thing, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm saying that that is not different enough to get certain levels of players, right? And that's not good or bad. That's a choice. So going back to my uh, silly example, if I'm the if I'm the director of Manchester United, my first um, my first audience that I am playing to one thousand. This is me talking. My, the, the first audience that I am playing to one thousand per percent is the players. You need. I mean, I'm saying this with with, uh, with respect. You need to get players in there. When I say players, I mean leadership level players who are willing to take on all of the negative with with the positive right because at the end of the day we can say what we want about the uh the bruno fernandez's the andre onana's the uh man Jaden sancho's I, I we can go down the list but at the same time you have to have players that want to be there for battle and battle is simply like the negative Dealing with the narrative that's around the club right now, right? So uh, that would be one. One A is, and again, it's it's a spectrum. It's not um, more or less. The next one is the manager. Like, I, like I don't. If I'm uh, the director of Manchester United, I'm at the point. The the club is at a point uh, going on what ten plus years of Sir Alex being gone, where it's not even that you need a great manager. Um. That might be a blasphemy to say that, uh, but you don't need a great manager. You need a manager who will lead, who will who will be at the front of the battle of the because that's what they're fighting against right now. They're fighting against their narrative. It's not Chelsea. It's not Arsenal. It's not Manchester City. It's not it's not any of that. They're fighting against their history and they're fighting against their history because there has not been consistent, clean communication about. I'm going to call it the project as a as an end all be all. So if I'm the director of my, uh, Manchester United, I want the players to hear me because when the players don't hear me, you have the situations with Sancho and Ronaldo and at all. You have that. But then you also have a manager or managers who are kind of on an island because they can't say what needs to be said publicly so that everybody is in line. Right. And that's another truth about sport, about uh, football, especially top five leagues. It's not. And, and again, you know, all the tacticals and, you know, the the, the people who want to talk about three, five, two. And look, listen, I, I love you, but that's not what makes the world go around um, as far as Champions League level, top five league level. It's important. It's a prerequisite. But you need to be able to communicate and lead human beings. Dare I say men and women who think they are better than you. So you have to have a steel resolve in what the project is really about. And when you don't have a manager or you don't have the manager's trust that you will back him publicly, when I say publicly, um, that's where using the media, using the mix zone, using press conferences as a way of shielding the changing room, but then also uh fortifying the manager as far as hey this is we're again just to use my manchester united example we're manchester united uh the last few seasons have been rough um we we can still meet our objectives this year well 
director David, what are, what are our objectives? You say the you say the objectives, right? And then you say, um, you know, manager Eric Ten Hag is doing X Y Z. We fully support him. There's been some rough patches, but then you you then set the expectation of you know Eric Ten Hag will get us to the next port of call. The players that we have are more than capable of doing that. We expect everybody to be on that front fighting forward, right? When you say that, you essentially isolate and you identify the players or the, dare I even say the people groups, who are not aligned with that. So whether that's Jaden Sancho, whether that's Cristiano Ronaldo, again, I'm just dropping names for illustration purposes. I'm not making any accusations. Um, When when you say that at, at the director level, you allow your manager to then lead those men to fight the battle on the pitch and to fight the narrative in solidarity. But when you leave them wide open and you do not clearly communicate with the, oh, wow, I even forgot, um, I forgot the, the other people group, the supporters. Uh, the supporters, the community, the, the, uh, the scarf waivers, they need to know what the project is without fail, right? And when they don't know uh, how to judge a result, losing to Newcastle, losing to whoever, when they don't know how to manage that because they don't hear from leadership what is going on, it slowly but very, very surely unravels the dynamic of the club. And if there's no hope in a club, if there's no hope that things are going to change, all sorts of silliness ensues. Yeah, I think you can probably see examples of that at several clubs, I think, across Europe at the, the moment. But just um, bringing it just a bit, a bit, little bit more deeper into the player, the audience, the player, do you think directors um, have to, do they, do, they, do you think they target specific types of players differently, like, you know, the alpha in the group as opposed to the youth? You know, you mentioned players that are not even there yet. You know, you're, you're already setting up communications because they're an audience how do you think that dynamic works you know in in the minds of a sporting director yeah that's a great question and that's where we talked about it previously that's where if you have a director who who was previously a player especially a high level player they can speak that language without burning bridges because that's essentially what you you, you risk right because you don't you don't want to tell option a that you would love to have them but option B is a Champions League level player. Um, but if you, you know, if you got them as well, it'd be great, right? Or you have a Champions League level player in house, um, you know, uh, but they're aging. You know, how do you communicate that without burning bridges? Well, it it, it usually goes back to have having constant communication. And when I say constant, I just mean regular. It doesn't need to be every day. It doesn't need to be via WhatsApp or emails or phone calls every day. But in the normal rhythms of a of a sports club that plays every week, I would I would venture to guess that low end direct if the director is hands on and he's a key part integral part of the project, he's seeing first team players at least three to four times a week. When I say seeing three to four times a week, I'm saying walking by them they're stretching or they're in the canteen or they walk by his office or he, the, the director walks throughout the facility. 
hey david how are you oh, i'm good i'm good how's the wife how's the, how's the family you know how's the new baby are you excited like you those seemingly throwaway interactions are key um not because there's any intent behind them other than uh connection so to answer your question at the at the end of the day um you being a player or at least being around um football clubs is is insanely important for a director because we all know a bad work environment when we've been in one it doesn't feel right let me rephrase that you don't want to be there you know you find ways out of being there right and as a director if you know that um you have the opportunity to bring in players that let's be honest you don't know as well uh, you don't know you don't know as well uh, on a daily basis as well as the players that you have in house. You you ask your older players, hey, you know how was you know how was David on international duty? Is he a family man? Does he like to play uh, you know snooker? Whatever how, whatever you guys call it there in the UK, right? Snooker, you guys call it? snooker, yeah, snooker. snooker. You, uh, you know, does he like darts? You know, like just things like that that seemingly are. Um, very, very shallow, but you do that over the course of a calendar year when a player is up for um, a free transfer or is debating moving on or there's whatever chaos or, or, or sometimes even tragedy at a club where players need to or relegation, whatever. You already have an intel. You already have a dossier on a player and it is not hard to do. But if you do not have constant um, effective communication with your players, you wouldn't get that information. So I hope I'm answering your question to a degree, uh, but it, it's really about volume at that level. Like how often are you talking with players? You know, because the players will tell you, will tell you a lot, but you have to be very, um, and it's not a, a knock against them, but you have to be very, you, you don't want to distract them. So you ask them simple questions like, you know, how was, how was Erling Holland on national duty? You know, would you, do you guys do anything? Does he like pizza? Okay, boom, you walk away, right? But then the other side of that too, and this is where, uh, again, I'm stepping into dark waters here. This is where agents are important too. I mean, let's let's not get caught up in the narrative of them being bad or whatsoever. Yes, there's rogue, there's rogue agents, there's there's rogue players, there's rogue directors, there's rogue managers. But no, having a good, trustable. Um, I'm going to call it bank of agents who will tell you the truth. Again, if you are focused on doing your work um, ahead of time before you need it, uh, you can get gather valuable information and headway on making a potential decision on a player, on a manager, because the same thing happens for managers. Right. You know, um, let's yeah. say uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, a relevant example, but um the only one that's come into my mind is Luis Enrique at, at PSG, right? Uh, yes, he's pro probably by by uh, a decent margin the best option for PSG as far as the caliber of the club, as far as who they would go after. I I think uh, I I would imagine the the leadership group at PSG is asking Neymar is asking well maybe not Neymar but uh, asking the other leaders of the club. Hey, what have you heard about Luis Enrique? What do you like? What do you, what do you dislike? And those questions or those concerns come up when they interview that manager, when they interview Luis Enrique, right? 
So Close. this goes back to uh, the, the one episode we had, and I forget what it was called, but we're talking about, well, transfer windows and doing your, like doing your work early and, and staying ahead of the calendar. When you're constantly talking to all parties, um, you are aware of opportunities and you're also aware of red flags. So again, long-winded answer, which is my style, but I hope that helps. <laughs> No, no, it does. It does. And I, I think the, the episode you're referring to was, uh, I guess, called contracts and calendars. Basically, exactly what we exactly what we talked about. Um, but actually, it, it feels like with the players, it is definitely more about connectivity and, I guess, visibility. Because I guess in any organizational structure, you want to be able to see the various connections through management and have visibility to them as well as them to you. Um, I always found that worked best in organizations where it worked well, right? If you knew who the senior guys were and they were very open and, I guess, conversational with yourself, even though it may have been high-level stuff, you just felt valued just as a result of that interaction. So I think it makes 100% sense. Um, with then going on the flip side, with ownership and, uh, you know, the board and, and, and that level, what do you think that audience looks like to the sporting director and how do they navigate that or what kind of things do you think they need to be doing to ensure they are a properly communicated with and b they understand the value that you offer as a sporting director so that's the question that uh i mean it, it's it's a fair question it's just there's not going to be a lot of uh it's, it's, it's like a black box in an airplane, right? Yeah. You only know, which is probably not the greatest analogy. I apologize. But uh, <laughs> you don't know how bad things are until there there's an, uh, an accident. So there's a crash, right? So yeah. um, I apologize. <laughs> but, but, no, no, but, it's, but you're right. But you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the best, the best examples are the worst ones, you know? And w- what I've found, and, and I'm saying this, Humbly, what I found after playing sports, but then also being in the business world is that, you know, I I said a couple answers ago, but having constant communication, especially when it's informal, is so much more leverageable than just saying having an annual general meeting or having a board meeting. I'm not saying those things are not important. They're very much important. In fact, if you don't have those you're doing things wrong <laughs> if, we're, if we're being honest, right? But yeah. as far as continuity and camaraderie, that is where the good directors are very aware of. And I tweeted about this a few days ago. Um, you know, the first three steps for any director uh, when they step into a new club. And I don't know if I'll be able to pull up the tweet. I'll, I'll go from memory. But you, you have to have focus, right? Focus could be, you, you can switch out that word and, and call it self-control or, or discipline. What were you brought in there to do? If you're brought in there to win the Champions League and you're trying to develop, you know, the under 18 setup, that's going to be a problem, right? Very quickly, very quickly. That's not what you were brought in there to do. So you need to align your decision making and communication to win the Champions League, not to develop talent, right? I'm not saying that you can't do both. But your communication and the results of your decisions need to fortify what you were brought in there to do. So that is the first part, right? The second part is, uh, I mean, there's this, uh, 
I'm going to call fallacy or, or, or this narrative around owners of clubs that they're unreachable or, you know, the, was it uh, Mike Ashley at Newcastle? Is that, is that, am I getting his name right? Um, I mean, he, he, he was a figure at Newcastle. I'm not sure how well liked he was, but yes, he was. Oh, well, <laughs> I would never assume, <laughs> never assume that he was, uh, well, like, uh, especially after he was established there. Yeah. Yeah. Figures like that get a certain level of notoriety, but let's be honest. I mean, I believe uh, Rafa Benitez was there, and they they had some modicum of success, right? I'm going to call it stability. Maybe success is not the right word, right? Um, But my my point more so is to say that there has to be there has to be a constant level of communication and, and focus on what you were brought in there to do. But then you also have to have a level of bravery that it that defies titles, defies, well, I'm the owner of the club. Well, I understand that you might be the owner of the club, but this is what we do to win. This is what you brought me in here to do to win. You know, um, the, the example I'm trying to think of as far as a director. Um, well, we can go back to the Paolo Maldini, um, the AC Milan uh, saga, uh, you know, Redbird. It's a great story, but at the same time, one of, and I mean, and I'll go down this road a little bit. Paolo Maldini, since I've been following football since the 2010 uh, uh, World Cup, AC Milan has been knocking on his door with various uh, ownership groups after uh, Berlusconi, uh, you know, sold the team. They've been wanting him to come back in so many capacities because he is his family name in that club is just legendary and he multiple times turned him down because he didn't want to sully the name of the club right so he finally takes up a director role um within the club and they win the scudetto but milan ac milan um real madrid and to a lesser very lesser degree um no disrespect but just keeping it real chelsea it's about winning things like that. That's really that's really their deal. They're, they're, they don't really want to. They don't prioritize developing players or coaches. They don't even really care about the league on a regular basis. They want to win Champions League like they want to win it all. They, that I mean, that's just how their uh, the fabric of the club is. So one of the key two of the key lines uh, or key uh, lines of thought that Paolo Maldini said now I'm paraphrasing, is that, you know, it's important that no matter what your name is and no matter how you gain control in a club, that you remember and you respect the history of the club, right? So that's number one. Number two is that, which I find crazy, um, I'll be tweeting about it in due time, but he, Paolo Maldini, this is Paolo Maldini. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's a better player, um, there's there's few better players for a, for one club, um, in world in European football at least. He basically said that he never had signature uh, signature approval on any transfer, so he could not override any transfer. Like you know, hey David, you're coming to our club, come sign the paperwork now. He had to get buy-in from everybody, so all the leadership ownership group at Redbird. On one hand, that's interesting. But that forces an alignment that you have to be brave and you have to be emphatic on your decision making. So if you have focus to 
say, hey, we want to win the Scudetto in, in Italy this year, you had to bring in players of that level. You had to be brave and consistent enough in how you pitch them to leadership. But then lastly, I mean, what to, to, to be focused, to be brave, that's great. But at the end of the day, you have to have results too, right? So you have to be able to communicate expectation level. And that is where, to me, I see such a, a wide gulf. Um, and I'm not being overly critical. I'm just saying there's such a gulf between the directors that are able to talk up and down. So communicate up to ownership, talk down in a, in a not a negative or condescending way, but uh, talk down on the hierarchical hierarchy, the infrastructure of the club to management and players like, hey, um, we should not have drawn last week. We have Europe, you know, we have a conference league in two days. Let's make sure that we meet our objectives and we are um, in line so that we can get a win to get a positive result in our next match. Right. And those are skills. Communication is the, is the, uh, the fabric of all these things as a director. If you cannot communicate expectation um, for better results or for negative results without losing um, players, management, supporters, ownership, if you can't do that on a consistent basis, you won't consistently be in that chair. 100%. 100%. And I think that that skill of being able to manage upwards as well as downwards, as well as interact with your peers at the same level, feels so underrated in, in organisations and the ability to do that um, is key, I think, for, for your for your role to be a success. But just, just lastly, on that third internal audience that we think, you know, the managers... Are they your friends until they not? Is that is that the hardest audience, basically, to to navigate with? Because I guess initially, when you hire a manager, you're aligned, you're doing everything you can to support them, et cetera, et cetera. And then, say, if it goes doesn't go so well, then how do you navigate your way out of that position, should I say? And just in terms of some examples, I mean, I, you know, we spoke previously about Roma and, and Monchi and, and Jose Mourinho, right? Two two big characters there. And then on the flip side, you look at, you know, a club close to my heart, Arsenal, and you see some real, real tight synergy between Edu and, and Mikel Arteta there. And I'm just curious as to, you know, what you're seeing and, and just some your thoughts on that particular dynamic. Yes, it's definitely case by case. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a template there that um, is... Is leverageable if, if you are consistent in the standard. Um, Bayern Munich does it very, very well. Bringing in Arsenal, is I mean, I would say in European football, what Arsenal and Bayern Munich have done to keep figures at the club who have played or managed at the club um, with success, as far as being a part of the, uh, the decision making, is exemplary, right? And to answer your question, it's case by case, but at the end of the day. Every single manager knows that once you get to the end of the run, you get to the end of the run. Um, yeah. Yes, in some parts, some situations might be more personal than others, but I would say the hardest part, and I'm, I'm, I have never been a sporting director, so let me be clear in saying this, but I can imagine from being a player, and you know, in my day, the hardest thing for a sporting director is bringing, in my opinion, is to bring in a player. 
And for that player to not have the opportunity to do what you brought them in in there to do, whether it is by injury or uh, personal issues or just, you know, lack of form or whatever, because that's something that that's a regret that you don't control, but it changes. There's this word again, narrative of the opportunity. Um, you, I, I would bet that there is not a high level player that will, they can rattle off their goals or their um, achievements or their experiences, right? The positive ones, but the ones that are vivid and are painful are the ones that, you know, they knew they could have done better or they didn't have the opportunity to. So that'd be my answer. I mean, I, I, I you know, um, why, again, going back to Manchester United, to bring in Jaden Sancho, that's great. You know, that's great. <laughs> He's one of the best players in his age age band, right? But it's not working out, right? I mean, there's many reasons for that, potentially. But those are the ones that eat at you. Managers, you you know, sometimes doesn't matter how. You look at um, uh, Marcelino going to Marseille. That didn't work out. It should have on paper. Right. But there's other factors that the sporting director, the manager, even ownership didn't doesn't control. So it just like, you know, uh, you, you do your best. And I don't think it's ever really taken personal unless unless personally, you know, there's either danger or deceit that has happened there, which, you know, you look at, say, Ajax uh, uh, with uh, Sven Mislintat, that seems to be the case as well on the uh, nonviolent, but definitely very, very dark uh, unfolding there. Yeah, listen, I, I agree with that as well. You know, when you're dealing with people, there are so many variables at play, I think. So um, it's interesting you say that. Um, Looking, looking now a little bit more at the, I guess some of the external, and you know we we talked about audience, um, sorry the media as as one of the audiences, and I guess you know the supporters also I guess are a little bit external as well. Um, how do you think a sporting director leverages the media or would want to leverage the media? I think you touched on it earlier, um, but I wanted to ask, you know, you always hear about managers are giving their players a message through the interview they had at the end of the game or something like that or in the press conference. Do you think sporting directors are doing similar things? And just to throw you under the bus again, David, you know, who who is who does it well, you know, or who has done it well in the past? Who's kind of the template that you would think, hmm, there's some messages being given by this sporting director here, you know, and they seem to work because they permeate through. Yeah, the, the, um, the one that is easy because uh, there's, there's just so much there um, is, is Manchi when he was at Sevilla. So when, let me, let me take a step back. Uh, the best leaders in any realm, in any industry, whether it's in a family unit or whether it's in a, the, the leader of a country or the leader of an army or the leader of a football club, the best leaders very clearly communicate expectation and the standard of how that expectation will be uh, completed, period. I'm not saying that in, in a sense that it's easy, it's simple, but it's very, very hard or it's very uh, tricky depending on you know the, 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 the volume of people needed to get something done or the difficulty of the project. So 
whether you hate him or love him, one of the things that Manchi has always done, he has been, and I've said this previously, he has been the, he was the standard bearer of Sevilla as far as, hey, we may not ever get close to winning La Liga. Probably never, okay? It'll never happen, right? But we will find talent, we will develop talent, and we will go our farthest, we will go to the limit in Europe. Obviously, Europa League more so than anything, but we will go to the limit. And that sounds great on paper. Um, It's definitely an ideal uh, uh, pursuit in FIFA, FC24, football manager. But the reality of it is, is that when you're good at finding talent, you have to replace talent. You have to replace talent. So the, the, the issue becomes how do you deal with the, the valleys, right? And if you Google Isco, who's having a great season at Real Betis, uh, seemingly, uh, if you, you Google him and Manchi, apparently there was a fight last year in the hallway. What, you know? And these are things that uh, I find not comical, but I find it revealing in the sense is that this is what leadership looks like, right? Isco's not trying to fight the kit man. He's not trying to fight the manager. He's tr- he, the, he got into a, a conflict, into a disagreement with, I hate saying this, uh, but with the alpha at the club who represents ownership. That was Manchi. So leadership isn't always about, hey, you know, you get to lift the trophy or, you know, you get to be the first one in the mix zone. Sometimes it's clearly about, hey, we brought you in here to provide attacking intent off the left wing. You're not doing it. Why? And I'm making this up, 100% making this up. Maybe Isco says something along the lines of, well, you guys are not paying me the wages or what have you. I, I thought I'd have a better living situation. And Monchi takes offense to that and says, no, this is what you asked for. This is what we required. Uh, you've been there for four months now. <laughs> Why is this the first time that you're saying this? And, you know, hands are thrown. Whatever. Again, I'm completely making that up. Hopefully it's more funny than anything. I, I do not think it's even close to reality. The point more so is to say that leadership especially when you are trying to get players, you're trying to get managers, you're trying to get those internal um, uh, components firing in the right direction. It really is about setting the expectation of how do we do this together? And you can't do this, I use quotations, but you can't do this together until everybody clearly knows what their job is, their role is. That's why I gave the example of, hey, you know, for Isco, I'm joking, by the way, but Isco, we brought you in to give goals, you know, to have intent off the left wing. You're not doing that. Why? Who holds players accountable? Can't just be the manager, right? It can't just be the media. It can't just be Twitter or X, whatever we call it. I don't know. You know, it can't just be um, people who do not have the direct attention of said player, of said manager. Leadership isn't always about setting, you know, down uh, rules. It's also about saying, hey, you have missed the mark. We need to fix that. How do we fix that? And sometimes, just like adults in all realms, they don't take that so well. Yeah. No, of course. But when, I mean, but, but when we bring it back to the media, do you, do you think they have a role to play 
in all of this in terms of I guess that was more of an internal situation which may have made it out um but in terms of other types of communication they're trying to go through the audience with I don't know talking about transfer window coming up you know this is what our stance is just to kind of allay the fears of supporters etc do you think those kind of things are are useful helpful uh it's uh to answer your question yes yes it's all about leverage of the narrative and why yeah, yeah. so for the the, the manchi isco you know ex- extravaganza why is that coming out now why so you know like, and that's essentially what manchi said like why why are we talking about this now if this was an issue if this was really a problem why why didn't it come out spring or spring uh earlier 2023 right so and i say this with i say this as objectively as i can the media is a it's a resource it's a tool i don't want to call it a weapon necessarily but it's a tool so depending on how it's used for the end user you can paint a project as terminal right you can paint a manager player or director as incompetent you can do all those things it's it's definitely it's been done it's being done right now so i I think as a director you you can't win them all and and them is more so like the battles or putting out all the fires but how do you get to a point where you can communicate expectation um that that is I, i think that is the secret sauce two two perfect examples it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't see how it would change, but Jose Mourinho is going to answer questions about his contract the rest of the season. Look at his, look, look at his answers. Look at his answers, right? He's communicating expectation and he's telling you exactly what's happening. He's not saying, hey, I haven't been offered a contract. I have four four contracts, three from Saudi Arabia, one for the Premier League. He's not saying that, right? He's not saying that. But if you look at his answers, you can tell very clearly he's saying to ownership, hey, I mean, this is up to you. Obviously, I'm still a name. Obviously, I still have impact. And more obviously than anything, we're getting results here. What do you want to do? You know, that's that's one example. The other example, which yeah. is more understated, more, I, I'm going to say classy because it, it, it's, it's I don't know, I like it more personally, whatever. Uh, but look at Carlo Ancelotti and how he's dealing with his renewal versus going to allegedly Brazil, right? Hey, uh, you know, guys, I'm not going to talk about my contract. I love being at Real Madrid. We'll have answers for you here soon, right? Has Florentino said anything? No. Cause he doesn't care. He doesn't have to. Right. Like, and, and that, that is, again, those are two different personalities. One of them is, I mean, Carlo Ancelotti's latest book is literally called quiet leadership. Go with that where you will. Right. Jose Mourinho has never been quiet. Right. So go with, with that where you will, but being able to use the media to protect. So to answer your, this is what I was getting to. To answer your question, any manager, but more so when you look at it at the director level, if you can parry questions about your future or the viability of the project in a manner that consistently answers the question, but still keeps focus from the entire group on the greater project, 
you are winning because you are buying more time for the the key players that you brought in or for injuries to you know dissolve or, or whatever you're you're buying time directors that is the the hardest part of you know uh of the the remit is that you you effectively have to find a way to buy time whether it's through recruitment whether it's through luck whether it's through you know a bigger transfer budget you are literally trying to buy time to meet your objectives and it's not always going to be the same way no i think that's a fantastic way to wrap this up actually david and definitely the vehicle um the media is a vehicle for them or a tool for sport or anybody i think like you said right jose uses it in a different way to carlo to the way monchi uses it so it's there to be leveraged i guess to put it how you said to buy time i think so but i think listen it's, it's been brilliant I don't, I don't we didn't we didn't touch on um the supporter audience i think as much as we wanted to but maybe we can um speak on that on the next uh, episode but as always Dave is really really insightful um, really really enjoyed the conversation um, I really hope the audience you guys listening out there enjoyed it also um, as always I will put David's Twitter handle in the show notes you know he puts out some really insightful um, pieces and tweets can we call it tweets now I don't know I guess snippets on um, on that platform I'll put the, the the handle in the show notes. And as always, please keep a lookout on our Get Football Media outlets, you know, where we cover European football and world football with news, videos, opinions from some of the most plugged-in analysts across the football landscape. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for that also. And lastly, I just want to say thank you again for being here. Thank you for your patience. I know our schedule has not been as consistent as we would have liked. Um, hopefully, we can resolve that shortly. We really appreciate you being here. And we just wish you have a great day. 